Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. You're listening to This Week in Golf with your host, Chris McKee on Saga 960. I was left in my own diva. Welcome to This Week in Golf on Saga 960. I'm your host, Chris McKee. Thanks for joining me. This is episode one of season two of the show. So blessed to be back once again, coming across your airwaves. And what a way to start the year 2023. We had the PGA Tour back in full swing this weekend, and on Sunday, I witnessed one of the greatest rounds of golf I've ever seen in my life, with John Rahm coming from nine shots back of Colin Morikawa to win the Century Tournament of Champions down in Hawaii at Kapalua, which is one of the most beautiful golf courses on the planet. It's just absolutely gorgeous. I will, of course, dive into all things John Rahm, who becomes the first player at the Century Tournament of Champions to follow up a runner-up finish last year with a win the following year since Vijay Singh in 2007. That was the last guy to do that. Rahm actually lost to Cam Smith last year, almost a year to the day. And, of course, Smith has since bolted to LIV and what a difference a year makes when you see, you know, the two different paths between Rom and Smith. But Colin Morikawa had a six-shot lead heading into Sunday, which equaled the largest 54-hole lead of the season, but it fell apart for him. So we'll dive into Morikawa and all things Century Tournament of Champions in just a few minutes. Also coming up later in the show, I'm going to get into the antitrust lawsuit going on between the PGA Tour and LIV with some fairly damning evidence being presented by the LIV lawyers against the PGA Tour. So this past week in court, documents have come out that show the group who call themselves 9-11 Justice, who have shown up to at least one LIV event that I'm aware of to protest. Um, and it turns out they didn't in fact exist prior to June of 2022, which is coincidentally, which is around the same time many of the top PGA Tour players started their exodus towards LIV golf. Now, one of the things they're alleging in court is that the PR and consulting firm that has been representing the 9-11 Justice Group is the exact same consulting and public strategy firm that represents the PGA Tour. The firm is called Clout Public Affairs and is based in Washington, D.C. And so this allegedly, and I stress allegedly, what it looks like is happening is the PGA Tour may have created and funded this 9-11 advocacy group to use as a talking point against LIV to tug at the heartstrings of Americans and others around the world and that LIV is bad and created with blood money. And so 
again, this is all alleged, but things getting really nasty in this court case. So being alleged in court that the PGA Tour is pulling moves like the CIA or FBI would by creating dummy organizations and activists to help paint a certain narrative in the media, which is really mind-blowing when you think of it. A golf organization getting involved with political propaganda just to make themselves look good and to make LIV look bad. And so maybe this may end up flipping the scales and the PGA Tour ends up looking really bad once all this is settled because it's not looking good for them right now. So this court case between the two is just getting started and it's getting really juicy each day. So I'll continue to track that and what's going on and uh, we'll dive into all that a little later in the show. I think you're really going to enjoy that conversation. So on the subject of LIV, it was also announced over the Christmas break that LIV players will be allowed to compete in the Masters in 2023, which is big news. So I'll get into all that later in the show as well of what LIV players you can expect to see in Augusta, Georgia coming up in April and plenty more. I always, of course, talk Brooke Henderson. We do it every week. And so Brooke is on the verge of making an equipment sponsor change. That's always big news because you wonder how's that going to affect her game? We've seen it with guys like Justin Rose. He switched clubs and he ended up losing the world number one ranking following that. And so we'll dive into that and how it's going to affect Brooke. And we'll dive into who exactly the sponsor she's switching to later in the show. Well, as far as my holiday break, I didn't really have much of a break over Xmas and New Year's because they both fell on a weekend. So I only actually had one day off. So for those that don't know, I also work as a traffic reporter for eight different radio stations across Ontario. So I had little time to sit back and relax because I was on the radio just about every single day. I've also been battling the flu over the past week, which I'm sure you can tell my voice not exactly up to par like it usually is. But uh, this is the second straight year that I've started off the first week of January with a bad flu. So it was a bad omen for last year. I'm hoping I'm going to try to shake it and uh, change the course of this year as opposed to what happened to me last year. But one thing I did do over the Christmas break that I will tell you is I went to a Toronto Raptors game at Scotiabank Arena last Friday with my son. My son was home from university, and he received a Christmas gift, uh, a pair of Raptors tickets, and so he asked me to take them. So I mentioned, you know, I'm under the weather. I didn't want to disappoint my son and cancel, so I decided I'm going to tough it out, and I'll take him down to the game. So I knew the tickets were in the 300 section, which is the nosebleeds, but my son and I both didn't care when we got there. But it turns out, you know, when the usher pointed us to our seats, the seats were standing room only, the absolute last row in the building. So for Christmas, my son was literally given the worst tickets in the entire arena. I mean, he was mad once he realized what was going on and because there was no way. And also, I mean, there was no way I could physically stand for three hours while I was battling sickness. And I also have terrible eyesight. I, I, I'm blind in one eye. Um, I wear glasses, but I couldn't even see what was happening on the court. We were literally close to you know, 130 to 150 yards away from the actual court in the absolute last row of the arena. So what I did was I got on my phone and I spent several hundred dollars more on a set of new tickets in the lower bowl down to the 100 so we could actually see the game. So after the Christmas holidays, the last thing I could afford to do is to put more money down on my visa. But it was my son's last night in town before he was leaving for university. And I probably won't see him again for another four months. So I decided to bite the bullet and I bought the tickets and we went down to the lower bowl. Never mind the fact that, you know, I work in sports and also specifically I work in basketball aside from golf. And 
both my son and I are used to a certain standard when attending basketball games. Like in early December, I'm up in Montreal covering NCAA basketball, interviewing every coach in the tournament. I'm in the dressing room. I'm interviewing several players. I mean, I'm sitting courtside in between watching every game. I also do play-by-play for college and professional basketball, and I brought my son along with me to many games. So he, too, is kind of used to that access and a certain way of watching basketball. And neither of us have zero interest in watching two bad NBA teams and the Raptors and Knicks in literally the worst seats in the house. We go down to our seats, and of course someone's sitting in them, so I ask the woman politely, hey, you know, these are my seats. I show her my my phone where I've got the tickets, and she's all kind of nasty with me and giving me dirty looks because I want to sit in the seat that I paid for. I'm sure many of you have experienced that. These people get like upset, Ugh, you want to sit in the seat you paid for, and so she huffs and puffs and you know moves over one seat to her seat. So I sit down, and there's a 10-year-old kid in front of me with his phone literally in my face. He's small, so he's raising his arms in the air, and so he's trying to film every single second of the game. So I tap him and his dad on the shoulder and say, hey, I can't watch the game with your phone in my face. Can you please keep it down a bit? So strike one, I'm in, I'm there, I'm in my seat for two minutes, and I've already, you know, I'm getting into it somewhat. Then behind us are two extremely intoxicated Italian guys yelling at the top of their lungs at every single pass and shot. And then the one guy decides that maybe he's better than Matt Devlin and wants to do play-by-play for every single pass, believing the Raptors players can hear him and maybe someone from TSN or Sportsnet is going to walk up and ask him to join the broadcast for the team. I mean, these were two of the biggest morons walking the streets of Toronto. Uh, They just couldn't even hold their booze. It was just, I mean, just listen to them for an hour and a half. I got dumber listening to them. Now, speaking of not being able to hold their booze, the woman and her husband sitting to my left were already drunk at the end of the first quarter. And I'm in a row where we must have set a record for getting up and down, letting people in and out and in and out. You know the way, you know, oh, I got to get a drink. I went to the washroom. It was just like I was up and down on easy 30, 40 times in the game. So the drunk couple next to me, they have, you know, the drinks in the cup holders, but they also have extra beers they've left on the floor. And so someone trying to squeeze out kicks a full beer over all over the floor. So now I'm, I'm sitting literally in beer and that's all I can smell. I myself was not drinking. I had to drive my son home. So it was just water for me and the boy, you know, taking it easy. So then the drunk couple ends up getting into a fight and she leaves and comes back. And then she leaves and comes back at least seven times all throughout the second half. I mean, I can see the husband texting her when she leaves, and it's just this giant production each time, and when she comes back, they argue more, so I'm having an absolute nightmare of a night. So finally, at the end of the game, they want to leave early, so she has the gall to say to me as she's squeezing past me, you're the worst person ever to sit next to. And I I swear my children, uh, you know, my son and I sat there in near silence. We didn't cheer. We didn't even make noise, not even once in the game. I I don't get excited watching the Raptors and Knicks in January. You know, I'm not a six-year-old. I understand that the game was kind of meaningless. And so when she's leaving, I shout back to her, good luck with your relationship. It seems to be going very well. And some of the people around me started laughing. And then her and her husband, you know, her drunk husband gives me a nasty look and they walk away. But everyone saw them arguing. So they knew what I was talking about. People kind of laughed and I think they felt stupid and just walked away. So needless to say, unless Drake himself calls me up and says, McKee, you're sitting courtside next to me. I'm never going back to watch a Raptors game again in my life until I take over Matt Devlin's job as the play-by-play announcer one day, you know, God willing. But just an absolute nightmare that cost me over $400 and I was sick in between. 
But anyways, enough of my rant. Let's get into what happened in this week in golf. As mentioned off the top, John Rahm came from a mile back on Sunday to win the opening event of the year at the Century Tournament of Champions down in Hawaii. His performance on Sunday is just one of the best rounds of golf I've ever witnessed in my entire life. It was it was a thing of beauty. I went, I've gone back and watched the highlights two or three times just late at night hanging out. So Rom shot a final round, 10 under par 63 to get the win. And he even started off Sunday with a bogey on the opening round, which makes what he did even more that impressive. I watched a bunch of this on and off all throughout the weekend because I was just happy to see golf back on the TV. And it looked like it was going to be a parade on Sunday for Colin Morikawa. I mean, he was just so dominant on Friday and Saturday that his lead looked completely insurmountable. The guy was just destroying the best players in the world until Sunday when he collapsed. So Morikawa went, he opened with a 64, then goes 66, 65, and then closes with a 72 on Sunday. Morikawa had a six-shot lead heading into Sunday, and then he just played it way too safe, and the wheels fell off. And I mean, he'd gone 67 holes at one point without a bogey before things started to unravel for him. Rom was even six shots back on the 13th hole. So, I mean, there was no there was guys ahead of him. You thought, well, maybe Scotty Scheffler can reel him in. There was other guys playing well. And then Rom reels off on 13. He goes three straight birdies, an eagle, and then closes with a birdie on 18. So heading into the week, Rom spoke to the media about his goals for the year 2023. That's what he had to say. I set my goals every year, right? And listen, I'm, I'm pretty ambitious. So I'm not always going to accomplish everything I set my, set my mind out to. But in this sport, if you know not winning as much as you would like, you would take it as, uh, as a bad year. It can be tough in a sport where the most accomplished athlete of all time won 30% of the time, right? Uh, that being Tiger. So it's a little bit subjective, uh, in my opinion. I think uh, there's a lot of things you can do well as an athlete and as a player to, to consider a positive year. Obviously, you want to win events. That, that is, that's, that's there. And the only thing I have, I, I did last year, I didn't do last year that I wish I would have done is compete better in majors. And, and give myself a better chance. So uh, obviously that being a goal this year, hopefully get number two and and give Spain another major. Well, he may not have set his goals high enough because Rom is just on an incredible run of form over the past six months. And this is what his first win in 2023 sounded like. Here comes John Rom, 26 under, within one. Three holes left for him. And that should put it out of reach and he knows it. Rom looking for PGA Tour victory number eight. And a win for the seventh consecutive season. Every full season he's been on PGA Tour. Taking care of business here in the first event of 2023. When it looked like he had no chance. We did hear from Colin Morikawa after the loss. And all he had to say was, it sucked. Uh, sadness. Um... I don't know. It sucks. You know, you work so hard and you give yourself these opportunities and um, just bad timing on bad shots and kind of added up really quickly. I mean, you know, I don't know what I have, you know, what I'm going to learn from this week, but it just didn't seem like it was that far off. You know, it really was, wasn't. And, um, yeah, it sucks. So watch out for Rom this year. If he keeps playing this way, he may have multiple majors on his resume by the time we get to the Tour Championship in August. And he's definitely going to give Rory McIlroy a shot for the world number one ranking. I mean, that might happen over the next couple of weeks. 
So as far as the Canadian content down in Hawaii, there was a couple Canadians down there. Mackenzie Hughes, because obviously he had a win, got invited to the Tournament of Champions. He was near the top of the leaderboard after round one, but slipped a little and ended up T21 at 16 under par, with Corey Connors just ahead of him at T18 and 17 under par. So if you want to know what the American media think of Connors or Hughes, neither was granted a single interview over the five or six days that was there. Nothing was recorded or posted by the PGA, so there's that. That's what your American media thinks of Mackenzie Hughes and Corey Connors, not even one single interview. So earlier in the week, we did hear from Justin Thomas, who talked about one of his New Year's resolutions. Yeah, the only like very, very specific one I have is I want to read one book a month. I like to read, but I'm not consistent at reading. Um, you know, I'll, I'll get into a book, and then I, whether it's sharing a house with some friends that we have and for a couple weeks in a row, and I don't touch it for a couple weeks, or, or I'm just not disciplined when I'm home to do it. But So I really would like to do that. Um, but... In terms of fun stuff here, I'm really boring. I'm pretty, pretty much just kind of stick to to my normal stuff. I mean, I, I would never, I would say go to the pool or the, or the beach uh, in a normal week, which we'll do here, obviously. But I'm not going on any kind of crazy excursions um, or anything like that. I mean, I've enjoyed snorkeling some in the past, but uh, you know, if you get those rough, we've had a couple rough wind years, not last year, but the previous couple years, to where it's not too fun being out in the water when it's like that. So got to pick and choose. I actually read two really good books over the holidays myself. One was The Billionaire Murders, which is written by Kevin Donovan from the Toronto Star. It's about the murders of the pharmaceutical tycoon Barry Sherman and his wife Honey. It was just a fascinating read, highly recommended, and there was actually a small golf connection in the book. This year's RBC Canadian Open will be held at Oakdale in Toronto, just by coincidence. Barry and Honey Sherman were both members at Oakdale. They talk about it in the book, but great read, highly recommended. Also read a book called The Massey Murder. Well, as most of people in Toronto have heard of Massey Hall in downtown Toronto, most of us have been to a concert there. Well, Charles Massey, who I believe is the one that built Massey Hall, his grandson was shot and murdered by his maid back in 1915 in Toronto. And because the Massey family was one of Canada's wealthiest at the time, it was a huge media storm. And, you know, all the papers involved. We had a lot more papers in Toronto back then, believe it or not. So they're all covering it. And I won't spoil the ending, but it was also very well written and uh, highly recommended. Enjoyed that too. So go check that out. The Massey murder and the billionaire murders as well. I don't know. I was just, I wanted to find Toronto books. I wasn't even looking at the murder books. And those were two I just picked up at the library. So I'm hoping when Justin Thomas comes to Toronto in June, I can quiz him on what books he's read and hope he's fulfilling his New Year's resolution. Also this week, we saw the return of Will Zalatoris, who's been off for an injury for a while, and he spoke about getting back in rhythm once again after his long layoff. Yeah, you know, I think coming off an injury, I think it's mainly just kind of getting getting my feet wet again. Um, you know, I, I feel really good with everything. I had a couple of really great sessions at home. You know, I learned a lot about my body, probably more than I think I ever wanted to, And um, but, you know, I, speed's the same, everything feels really good, and so... You know, just keep doing what we're doing and, you know, let the next one get in the way. The new superstar of the year 2022 was Scotty Scheffler, who says his 2023 goal is to adjust his attitude at times on the golf course and try to be a little bit more positive. An example was South Carolina. I felt like my attitude was really poor. I just didn't, I wasn't approaching shots the right way. I wasn't behaving well. I was getting very frustrated and 
Um, I had two great weeks after that, which was Houston and Mexico. I think Mexico was one of the best weeks I had in a while just because my attitude was so good. I, I wasn't thinking about anything else. I was just trying to hit good shots and having fun doing it. Before I go on to what I was going to ask, what, what makes you have a bad attitude? Um, I think probably unrealistic expectations for myself. Um, and I think just like kind of the growing frustration. Golf can be a frustrating game. And so um, I think when you prepare to play well and you show up and you're not playing well, it can be frustrating. But I think understanding that that stuff's going to happen and all I can do is put in the right prep work and approach things appropriately mentally. And so whether that be being fully committed to my shot and like, for instance, South Carolina was somewhere where I was trying to play perfect and that, that, that doesn't really work for me. And perhaps one of the big superstars of 2023 is going to be 20-year-old Tom Kim. He spoke about adjusting to his newfound fame over the past few months as well. Um, no, it's not that bad. I'm not that big of a star yet, so it hasn't been that crazy. But I, I spent time back home a little bit. You know, I've definitely had a few more people recognize me on the streets, and um, which is, I think, it's it's great. You know, I've I don't get to be back home as much, so. Whenever I go back home and see that, it feels great. It kind of motivates me to kind of come back to the U.S. and play better, and um, it's it's been pretty fun for me. So just an amazing week for John Rom down in Hawaii, and I can't wait to see what he does the rest of the year. Like I said, I think he's got at least one major under his belt, possibly two, just the way he's playing, and so can't wait to see what happens. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Mr. McKee, and subscribe to This Week in Golf on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, wherever it is you prefer to listen to your podcast. Coming up next, I'm going to discuss the LIV guys being included in the Masters, and then following that, we'll dive into this LIV versus PGA Tour court case and plenty more. I'm Chris McKee, and you're listening to This Week in Golf on Saga 960. You're listening to This Week in Golf with your host, Chris McKee on Saga 960. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960AM.ca. You're tuned in to This Week in Golf with your host, Chris McKee, on Saga960. Welcome back to This Week in Golf on Saga 960. I'm your host, Chris McKee. Thanks for joining me on my first episode of the year 2023. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Mr. McKee, and subscribe to This Week in Golf on Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, wherever it is you prefer to listen to your podcast. Now, as we enter the year 2023, one of the most prominent conversations in all of sports, and not just golf, is what's going to happen with LIV this year? Will they survive? Well, my answer is, of course, they're going to be fine for this year in 2023. But if by the year 2024, some of these lawsuits that are ongoing with the PGA Tour are not solved and they haven't sorted out the official world golf ranking point system issue because LIV players still aren't getting points and many of them are dropping you know, out of the top 50, out of the top 100 because they're playing on a separate tour. So for the next 12 months, they're going to be fine. But if by 2024, some of these issues aren't solved, the red flags will start to get raised and then questions will start to come about. Will this league survive? Now, 
One of the first signs they're going to be okay this year is that it was announced over the holiday break that LIV players will be allowed to compete in the Masters in 2023, and most of them have already received their invites. LIV guys were involved in the Open and the U.S. Open, but the big question hovering over everyone's head for the past several months is, are they going to be allowed to play the Masters? And we now know the answer is yes. Augusta National Chairman Fred Ridley released a statement just a few weeks ago saying that it will invite all eligible players under the event's current criteria, including LIV golf members. Fred Ridley said, quote, Regrettably, recent actions have divided men's professional golf by diminishing the virtues of the game and the meaningful legacies of those who built it. He continued, Although we are disappointed in these developments, our focus is to honor the tradition of bringing together a preeminent field of golfers this coming April. As it currently stands, at least 16 LIV players have been invited, including the six past Masters champions who have moved over to the other tour, which include Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, Sergio Garcia, Bubba Watson, along with Patrick Reed and Charles Schwartzel. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And according to Bob Herrig at Sports Illustrated, Cameron Smith, Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, and Joaquin Neiman will also receive invitations. Smith, DeChambeau, and Kepka are all eligible because they're past major champions within the past couple years, so they get an exemption. They're also going to invite Taylor Gooch, Harold Varner III, Jason Kokrak, Kevin Na. Abraham Answer and Louis Usheisen because they're all currently still ranked inside the top 50 of the official world golf ranking points. And Louis Usheisen just squeezed in qualifying at number 50. Fred Ridley, the Augusta National Chairman, did leave the door open that that policy may change in the coming years when he said, as we have said in the past, we look at every aspect of the tournament each year and any modifications or changes to invitations criteria for future tournaments will be announced in April. So at least for 2023, the LIV guys have received a stay of execution. So there's 19 different ways you can qualify for the Masters. I know everyone else. How do you get in? What, what are some of the qualifications? Well, here's 19 different ways you can get in. Number one, you know, you're a past Masters tournament champ. You get a lifetime exemption. We, you know, we see that with Mike Weir, who won, what, back in 2003. And Mike Weir will play until the day he dies. He's going to get to compete at the Masters. The second way you can get in is if you win one of the other majors, the U.S. Open, the British Open, or the PGA Championship within the past five years. So any winner between 2018 and 2022 automatically qualifies for the Masters. The winners of the Players' Championship from the past three years also get in. So anyone who wins between 2021 and 2023, the current Olympic gold medalist gets to qualify, which is Xander Shoffley. He won the last Olympics back in 2020. I, I was thinking about that the other day when I was out for my run. I didn't watch a single lick of that 2020 Olympics in, I think it was Beijing. It was just like this bizarre propaganda episode, like where guys have masks on, then they do an interview, it's off, then they're on the podium, the masks on. It was just like this whole propaganda thing. It was gross. That was at the peak of the whole COVID nonsense. And so I was like, I don't even want to watch this because I felt bad for the athletes competing. Of course, they want to go. 
you know, like no fans in attendance. It was just zero vibe. It was just unwatchable. So I had to look up that Xander Shoffley won the Olympic gold medal. So there, he's going to get in. The 2022 U.S. Amateur Champion, along with the runner-up, get an invitation, as well as the British Amateur Champ, Asia Pacific Amateur Champ, Latin American Champ, and the U.S. Mid-Amateur Champion as well along with the top 12 players, including ties from last year's Masters. So the guys who finished in the top 12 automatically get to come back, as well as the top four players, including ties from the previous three majors last year, the U.S. Open, the Open, and PGA Championship. And then individual winners of PGA Tour events that award full point allocations for the season-ending tour championship. Um, and so anyone basically who won last year will get in. And then those who qualified for the 2022 Tour Championship. So what's that? 30 guys that that get to allowed to go. Uh, and then the 50 top guys in the official world golf ranking for the previous calendar year as well. All of them get to get in. Now, one guy who is an LIV player but had an interesting story making the rounds on social media over the past week is Scott Stallings. Stallings ended the year 2022 inside the world's top 50 at number 47, just slid in. So he earned an opportunity to play in the Masters this year. However, while all his peers had received their invitations in the mail, Stallings was left wondering, where's my invitation? What's going on? Why am I not invited? Now, he said he thought maybe his wife was trying to surprise him for Christmas, that she'd found the invitation in the mail and she was going to surprise him. So he knew it was coming. He was just wondering why I haven't been officially invited yet. So it turns out, an invitation had been mailed, but it was to a different Scott Stallings, some guy with the same name who has a vacation condo in Georgia. And the other Scott Stallings is a real estate agent. And in another bizarre twist, his wife is also named Jennifer, which is the same name of the PGA Tour player, Scott Stallings' wife as well. So really weird there. But the real estate agent, Scott, says he plays golf, but he knew immediately what the mix-up was because obviously he was familiar with his namesake. He'd followed him on the PGA Tour, and he was a golf fan. And so he hit up Scott Stallings on Instagram saying, hey, man, I've got your master's invitation. And the original Scott Stallings thought it was a joke because he just responded with like a laughing emoji and didn't respond to anything. He was just like, yeah, cool story, bro, LOL. No response, so they hit him back the next day. And this is what they said. Hey, Scott, my name is Scott Stallings as well, and I'm from GA. My wife's name is Jennifer, too. Her IG is whatever he gives his, his wife's Instagram account, and we have a condo somewhere in Georgia. And I received a FedEx today from the Masters, inviting me to play in the Masters tournament April 6th to 9th, 2023. I'm 100% sure this is not for me. I play, but wow, nowhere near your level. It's a very nice package, complete with everything needed to attend. I think we have some confusion because our names, our wives' names, in geographical location, I can be reached at. He leaves his phone number, and I am more than happy to send this package to you. So at least this guy was pretty cool and didn't take the invite and then just show up himself and leave the real Scott Stallings hanging. So PGA Tour player Scott Stallings and his wife Jennifer got on the phone with the other couple with the same names, and uh, they ended up sorting it out, and the real guy sent the package via UPS the next day, and they all lived happily ever after. Now, the golfer Stallings says he's invited the Georgia couple to watch a practice round of the Masters and join him and his wife for dinner at Augusta, Georgia. So a really nice story there, and everyone ended up happy in the end. Now, some people are wondering, why didn't you get him tickets to the real master? There's a lottery. 
You can't just like, even if you play in the Masters, you can't just get, I mean, you might get one ticket or something, a pair, and maybe Scott's parents or something, and the wife's coming, but you can't just, you know, call them, yeah, get me get me some free tickets to the Masters. Maybe if your name is Tiger Woods, but certainly not if you're Scott Stallings. There's a lottery. Some people wait 20, 25 years just to hopefully, you know, get the chance to, to get in, to, to be able to buy the tickets, and no freebies, you still got to pay. However, how does Augusta National make that mistake? I mean, I'm guessing someone's job may be in jeopardy over that gaffe. Like, how does an Augusta have access to Scott's agent's office? Because most of these guys are all represented by similar agents and agencies. And so maybe call them or at worst, send it to them and say, hey, we don't have Scott Stallings' home address. Can you see that he gets this? So a bit of a strange story, but a good ending regardless. So stick around for my next segment because I'm going to talk more LIV with some incredible details being alleged in their court case with the PGA Tour with perhaps allegedly, and I stress allegedly, the PGA Tour setting up a Families of 9-11 organization to protest LIV golf. So allegedly, according to court documents, this group didn't even exist until June of this year. And they appear out of nowhere with the goal of painting LIV golf in a bad light. Say, like, oh, the you know the family's a 9/11, and you're in business with the Saudis. Well, apparently, according to court documents, this group didn't even exist until June. And there's a good plot twist that connects them directly to the PGA Tour. So stick around in my next segment. I'm going to get into all that. Of course, I'm going to get into all things Brooke Henderson as well, as we do every week, my weekly segment of what's Brooke Henderson up to. So stick around. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Mr. McKee and subscribe to This Week in Golf on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, wherever it is you listen to your podcast. I'm Chris McKee, and you're listening to This Week in Golf on Saga 960. You're tuned in to This Week in Golf with your host, Chris McKee, on Saga 960. Stream us live at Saga960AM.ca. You're tuned in to This Week in Golf with your host, Chris McKee, on Saga 960. You like it, what you see? Everything designer, that's on me. Welcome back to This Week in Golf on Saga 960. I'm your host, Chris McKee. Thanks for joining me. Don't forget, follow me on Twitter, at Mr. McKee, and subscribe to This Week in Golf on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, wherever it is you prefer to listen to your podcast. Appreciate you putting up with me. I'm obviously under the weather, but I'm trying to fight through, but... As I mentioned before the break, I wanted to get into this breaking story this week in regards to the PGA Tour and LIV and their ongoing court case. This is the antitrust court case ongoing in the United States. Now, keep in mind, all of this information I'm about to discuss is alleged, but evidence has been presented in an American court that is pretty mind-blowing, but not really surprising when you know how the PGA Tour works. So I'm sure many of you have heard some of the PGA Tour players and executives' arguments against the Saudi Arabian-backed LIV Golf Tour. And one of their main arguments is that it's un-American because of the alleged Saudi involvement on what happened back on September 11, 2001, and the attacks that happened against the United States. PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan has used this as one of his main talking points against LIV, painting many of the players who left the PGA Tour not only as traitors against the PGA Tour, but traitors against the people of the United States. 
So this past week in court, documents have come out that show that the group who call themselves 9-11 Justice, who have shown up to at least one LIV event I'm, I'm aware of to protest against LIV, didn't in fact exist until late June of 2022, which coincidentally was around the same time that many of the top PGA Tour players started their exodus towards LIV. There's a Twitter account I follow called at LIV Golf Updates, which is close to 14,000 followers, and in their profile it says not affiliated with LIV. However, whoever is involved with this account has an awful lot of advanced info related to LIV, so I'm assuming it's someone on the inside that's just doing this anonymously. So back on January 4th, LIV Golf Updates tweeted out some official court documents related to the LIV versus PGA Tour case that prove this 9-11 justice group didn't in fact exist prior till I think it was like what June 27, 2022 or June 26, somewhere late June anyways. And then just by complete coincidence, allegedly, the 9-11 Justice Group has the same consulting and public strategy firm as the PGA Tour. The firm is called Clout Public Affairs and is based in Washington, D.C. I'm sure that's no coincidence as well. According to Clout's website, Cloud Public Affairs is a full-service shop that provides integrated, creative, and tailored solutions to national and local clients who have government and public affairs issues. This is on their website. Our team combines expertise and institutional knowledge to shape the conversation and narrative among influencers, policymakers in Washington, and the media. We help clients move the needle and win on the high-stakes issues that they care about most. Well, that's pretty interesting. That's right on their website. Just copied and pasted that. Our team has expertise and experience working on complex regulations on some of the biggest policy issues of the past decade. Our network of contacts and experience in media allows us to deliver our clients' message directly. At Clout, we bring experience working on some of the toughest political campaigns and apply those strategies to win those for our clients. The president of Clout is David Polyansky, who was formerly chief of staff to Senator Ted Cruz, and their chief operating officer, Samantha Dravis, is a policy advisor and strategist who has experience working in the White House, Capitol Hill, and for some of the country's most influential political and public policy organizations. That's from her personal bio. So when you go through the company website, most of the people involved with Clout all have heavy political connections in Washington, D.C. So this isn't like most PR firms or marketing agencies where it's you know a bunch of good-looking women with marketing and event management diplomas from your local community college. It obviously goes a little deeper than that with these heavy political ties. So again, all of this is alleged right now, but there is a possibility that through a covert organization – the PGA Tour is funding the anti-LIV protests, paying for the TV time, and then turning around and using the 9-11 Justice Group's existence as justification for the anti-competitive behaviors against LIV. So here's some audio from the 9-11 Justice Group back in July when LIV was playing at Trump Ed Mister in New Jersey, where they were protesting outside the golf course. This is Juliet Scalzo, who is the daughter of a 9-11 victim, speaking outside Trump Ed Minster. How much money does it take to turn your back on your country, on the American people? Well, according to certain individuals, such as Phil Mickelson, Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, and Donald Trump, that amount of money is just a few hundred million dollars. We 9-11 families would trade any amount of money in the world just to see our loved ones again, just to have one last hug, one conversation, one more round of golf. 
when you partner with a country that stands in stark opposition to American ideals and often ranks amongst, amongst one of the worst human rights abusers in the world. You aren't just playing golf. You're taking a political stance. You're taking a stand that you agree with the actions of Saudi Arabia, or just as bad, that you're so incredibly greedy and callous that you really don't care about these atrocities. The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia is being allowed to operate on American soil with complete impunity. I've also seen this same young woman on CNN, and this same audio was posted by the Associated Press, Reuters, and dozens of other local news stations across the U.S. So as someone who has personally orchestrated PR campaigns in the past 20 years, you know, during my music business, do you know how difficult it is to get that type of press coverage? Like to get CNN, the Associated Press, and Reuters covering your protests that had basically no more than 20 people there. This wasn't like some march on Washington with a million people. So, of course, Reuters and the AP is going to cover it. There's 20 people there. So you have to be seriously connected. So this cloud public affairs company, I mean, they're doing a damn good job. Whoever the hell they are, they're really good. So here's Juliet Scalzo on CNN talking about how she wants Trump to cancel the LIV event at Bedminster prior to it actually happening. I mean, I think... Uh, you know, the 9-11 community, we've been pretty outspoken about our issue here. And um, I'm very proud to say that I think we've gotten our message out quite far. And, you know, our message is on the radar. You know, I'm he, I'm sure Mr. Trump knows about us. He knows, you know, the letter. He, he knows how we stand. Now, whether it's canceled or not, I personally don't think it will be. But um, just the fact that you're, you are and even the players, that this is blood money that you're taking. Same with him hosting these events. Um, the fact that the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, when we have declassified documents that prove their involvement in this, and they're just being allowed to operate on American soil with complete impunity, is just absolutely shocking. So this is some CI level stuff allegedly going on here. And I stress allegedly, I don't want no lawsuits myself. Also, by the way, I know for a fact the NFL uses ex-CIA agents on their staff for protection and security issues. And anyone who knows anything about the CIA knows that once you're in the CIA, you don't actually leave the CIA. It's pretty much a lifetime membership. And so perhaps the PGA Tour boring a page from the NFL's handbook. Now, while most of the PGA Tour media was avoiding this story with a 10-foot pole because they don't want to lose access to top PGA Tour events and the player interviews, our friend of the show, Bob Herrick from Sports Illustrated, did write about what's happening in the court case this week. This same story was also covered in the Wall Street Journal a few weeks ago. So I'm not basing this whole segment on something I saw on Twitter and the LIV golf tweets. You have Bob Herrick, who's one of the most respected journalists in all of golf, and the Wall Street Journal also covering this, and then Chris McKee on This Week in Golf. So according to Bob Herrig's article, the president of 9-11 Justice is a guy named Brett Eagleson, and in the court filing, Eagleson said his reason for hiring Clout was to, quote, to aid in 9-11 Justice's efforts to educate the American public and key decision makers regarding the continuing failure to hold the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia accounted for the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks, which includes drawing the American public's attention to the Saudi Arabian government's deplorable record on human rights and other areas vital to American interests, unquote. 
Eagleson said in the court affidavit that he reached out to the PGA Tour at the same time he created 9-11 Justice, allegedly, with an email to Laura Neal, Executive Vice President of Media Content and Communications, and Joel Schumann, Senior Vice President of Communications. In the email, Eagleson suggests it could make a lot of sense for the two groups to join forces. Now, I've already gotten into who I believe actually committed 9-11 in a past episode of This Week in Golf. And it's not Saudi Arabia, so I'll do my best to avoid getting into that again on this platform anyways. But, however, for those that do believe the Saudis played a part in the 9-11 attacks, have you ever asked yourself why the United States never attacked or bombed or sent any troops into Saudi Arabia following the 9-11 attacks? Have you ever sat down and researched why the United States chose to attack Afghanistan and Iraq post 9-11, but never once set foot in Saudi Arabia? even though 15 of the 19 alleged hijackers were Saudis. Have you ever sat down and researched or looked into why is, that, why is that the case? They never went into Saudi Arabia. Have you ever looked into why just two nights after the 9-11 attacks, President George Bush invited over and hosted a dinner for Prince Bandar, the Saudi ambassador to the United States at the White House, just two days after 9-11? Bush is literally hanging out and drinking and smoking cigars in the White House with Prince Bandar. All of this was documented in Michael Moore's 2000 film, Fahrenheit 9-11. This is not a conspiracy theory. President Bush himself and Prince Bandar went on CNN and confirmed, oh, yeah, I was at the White House with President Bush. and So he's hanging out with a Saudi literally two days after they allegedly attacked the United States. But anyways, in spite of some bizarre circumstance, Jay Monahan and the PGA Tour are clinging to all of that story. So here's Jay Monahan with a performance worthy of an Emmy Award nomination when he was speaking with the great Jim Nance right here in Toronto back in June at the RBC Canadian Open. I pulled this audio from Sky Sports, but it has to be CBS because it's Jim Nance and he doesn't work for Sky. So audio courtesy of Sky Sports and CBS. This is Jay Monahan. Well, I talked to players. I've talked at a player meeting and I've and I've talked to a number of players uh, individually uh, for a long period of time. And I think you'd have to be living under a rock to not know that there are significant implications. And as it relates to the families of 9-11, uh, I have two families that are close to me that lost loved ones. And so my heart goes out to them. And I would ask, you know, any player that has left or any player that would ever consider leaving, have you ever had to apologize for being a member of the PGA Tour? So Jay hitting home with that message right there. It's strange because I literally stood next to Jay just a few minutes after that interview at St. George's on the 18th green, and he was all smiles and in a great mood. No emotion whatsoever that would you know, insinuate he just had this emotional conversation with Jim Nance. But anyways, according to Bob Herrick's article, neither Eagleson nor the PGA Tour provided a comment in response to questions from Sports Illustrated asking whether any charitable contr contributions were made from the tour to clout 9-11 for Justice 9-11 Inc. or whether any direct contributions were made to the organization from the tour 9-11 Justice President Brett Eagleson said, quote, it would be a chilling effect on fundraising if we disclosed our donors, unquote. Well, isn't that interesting? I don't want to discredit the young woman, Juliet Scouzo, because she may have honest intentions in being a part of this group because her father was killed in 9-11. So maybe she has the right intentions in being involved in speaking out against LIV. But the 9-11 Justice Group itself may not be exactly what it seems. So this is some born identity JFK kind of stuff going on right here. This is espionage and spy stuff going on. 
all because some rich guys like hitting a golf ball around a golf course and you know some guys don't like whether you know who's right who's signing the check whether it's you know crooked american businessmen or crooked saudi businessmen but it's all fascinating and i'll continue to keep you updated right here on this week in golf don't forget to follow me on twitter at mr mckee and subscribe to this week in golf on spotify itunes iHeartRadio, wherever it is you choose to listen to your podcast i'm chris mckee you're listening to this week in golf on saga 960. <laughs> You're listening to This Week in Golf with your host, Chris McKee on Saga 960. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca.